Welcome back to Get Unstuck and On Target. I'm Mike O'Neill. Whether we at Bench Builders are working with supervisors to improve their people skills, or it's me coaching a CEO one-on-one, getting leaders and companies unstuck is at the heart of everything we do. And that's exactly what this is all about. Each week, we invite incredible guests who share their hard-won experiences of getting themselves or others unstuck, back on target, and moving forward. And I hope it gets you unstuck and on target. Joining me today from France is Antonio is the founder of My Daily Leadership. It's a leadership development organization with a mission to inspire 1 million, you heard that right, 1 million of the world's best leaders to reach their full potential. Antonio has a vast amount of experience he can draw on with 25 years of senior leadership positions in world-class businesses. He's an expert in leadership transformation. He is also an author. His book, My Daily Leadership, A Powerful Roadmap for Leadership Success, is one of the things we'll be talking about. Welcome, Antonio. Hi, Mike. Thank you very much for that. That's only one of my books, but thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. I'm a fan of the uh, fan of the podcast, so I do appreciate the invitation. Thank you. We had an opportunity to speak uh, at some length, uh, actually now on two occasions. Um, mm-hmm. And what I learned a great deal about you and kind of how you choose to work, um, I'm just kind of fascinated by. And I guess what I would throw out to you is I understand you describe the kind of the services that your organization offers as unlocking the elite leader within. I love that. And of particular interest is uh, as a coach, is it that brings people to you? One of the things that you kind of shared with me is that there may be a number of things that might have them come to you. Can you share what are the kinds of things that prompts people to say, I want to talk to Antonio or somebody in his team? Okay, that's a great question. Thank you for that, Mike. You know, normally, so, uh, as we know, as we talked when we were off air, we've been doing this for quite a number of years, for quite a number of clients. Normally, and I'm going to guess, it's probably around 90% of the time. It's, well, it's almost 100% of the time through recommendation because uh, we do very little marketing, but we get a lot of people that recommend us to other people. Normally, it's somebody going to the leader and recommending us to them. What, why? Why is that normally the case? Because it's difficult for leaders, you know, the whole C-suite, it doesn't have to just be the CEO, right? Or the group chair or whatever. Um, Normally, they don't normally have enough either professional humility, self-awareness, emotional intelligence, right? There are a few gaps, right? So normally they don't see that in themselves. Mm. So it takes somebody to sit them down and say, maybe we need some help, right? So, so. Typically, they don't come to that realization. Typically, somebody makes that suggestion to them. And then they'll either begin the search or they'll say, I know a chat, right? So that's typically how that happens. So um, it, it, it's unusual for somebody, for a CEO. Why? Because let's imagine we have a CEO of an organization. And let's just imagine that there's somewhere between a couple of dozen and a couple of thousand people. There are a lot of reasons, I didn't speak to Alex in the air, right? A lot of reasons why the organization hasn't reached its, you know, its targets or its full potential. And it's quite easy for reasons more of ego more than anything else. It's quite easy for a CEO to blame everybody else other than themselves, right? And my coach, a 
because uh, I think every coach ought to have a coach. And I, I don't think you can be a coach with any kind of integrity if you don't also have a coach. You know, you can't, you know, you, you, you have to live it, right? So my coach, who is the fourth generation, who is a fourth generation, or was at any rate, submarine commander, and they don't give submarines to idiots, but so, so, and he now coaches presidents of countries as well as presidents of companies, right? He asked me a question, one of the very, very first times we had a conversation. He told me a, a terrible story, a true story. They had been uh, under, some around the, the Arctic Circle, they'd been under underwater for about four months, tracking red subs around the globe, so like Russian and Chinese subs. Whilst they were trying to remain undetected, and that's basically what they were doing, and they've been doing that for about four particular months on this particular uh, mission. And it was 4 a.m. in the morning. The captain, my coach, was asleep in his quarters. And unfortunately, an 18-year-old young lad, an electrician, I'm sorry, a welder, uh, was welding uh, some pipes and submarines are full of, you know, pipes under tremendous pressures and temperatures and sharp edges and the things that are really kind designed to kill you. And anyway, unfortunately, he electrocutes himself and died almost instantly at 4 a.m. Yeah. Morning. So my coach asked me this question, whose fault was it that this guy, you know, unfortunately, um, expired at 4 a.m. whilst welding something? Was it his fault? Was it his trainer's fault? Was it his manager's fault? Was it the person that asked him to do the thing at four in the morning? Was it the guy that was on watch? Was it whose fault was it that this guy? So we're all tempted then reel off a whole rake of, you know, people and circumstances and, you know, things that led to this chap's demise. But when you keep pushing, okay, well, whose fault was it? Those leaders that go, well, I guess it was the captain's fault, right? And you go, well, yeah, but the captain was asleep. It was 4 a.m. How is that the captain's fault? So when I was having this conversation with my coach and he asked me the question and I said, well, it was this guy's fault or this guy's fault or this guy's fault. He goes, no, it's my fault. And I said, yeah, but you were asleep. It's 4 a.m. He goes, yeah, but when I took on the position, um, I took on the responsibility for everything that happens in my cell. It's my my submarine. It's always my fault, the good and the bad, and everything that happens is my responsibility. So those CEOs that say to themselves, we haven't reached our target, we haven't reached our goals, we've fallen short here, or there's a delta of those CEOs that, you know what, it's probably my fault. Those are the ones that we can help. The ones that go, Nothing to do with me. It's everybody else's fault. They're the idiots, right? They're the ones we don't want to try and work with because, you know, hard, it's hard to help them. So what do they need? To answer your question, which is a lovely, elegant, eloquent question, and I'm rambling, what do we need? We need somebody that has professional humility, a certain amount of self-awareness to recognize that maybe it's their submarine or maybe it's their fault. Um, those are the guys that we can help, and we typically help them very quickly. So... You know, to use your kind of language, to use your kind of uh, kind of theoretical thinking, they're stuck, and they reckon maybe the organisation is stuck because then maybe they have a, a part to play in it. You know, to get unstuck. I I was I gave a talk a few a couple of years ago to three or four hundred leaders from across the world, all sizes, all industries, all but, and I asked um, I asked the audience. I said, by a show of hands, who here has no blind spots who here has no leadership blind spots by a show of hands now fortunately mike nobody put their hand in the air right so i thought okay good reasonable mm -hmm. awareness everybody recognized that they had some blind spots terrific says that okay next thing i'd like everybody to do is grab yourself a piece of paper and a pen and could you just jot down what your own particular 
blind spots are. Now it gets tricky because if they knew what they were, then they wouldn't be blind spots. They don't know what they are. And my point is, of course, that we all have them. You have them, I have them, all leaders have them, right? So, and it's probably those blind spots that are the reason that they're stuck. So, so, so those that recognize, maybe they're not the finished article, you know, that have some professional humanity, that say, maybe it's something to do with me. Maybe I've got some blind spots and can't see them and need some help, right? Those are the guys that, that we work with, the ones that go, no, it's everybody else. I can tell you another interesting story if you want one, want to hear one quickly. I love your stories. Yes. So normally when we'll talk, we talk to a, a new CEO or, you know, a prospect or whatever. And we'll say, for example, how many, uh, how many people work in your organization, whatever number they say, let's say they say yeah, a random number. I'll say, okay, well, on a standard distribution bell chart, then let's call this guy Frank. So on a standard distribution bell chart, Frank, you know, you probably got 20% A players. You probably got 60% B players. You got probably got 20%. C players, right? They all go, yeah. And I go, okay. Um, so if you've got 200 people, you've probably got C players knocking this organization somewhere. They go, yeah. And I go, okay. Um, give me the name of one of them. And, and it's interesting that they tend to know who they are pretty quickly, right? They're already on radar and they'll go, Mary. I go, okay, great. Give me another one. Peter, Mike, Sally, Bob. Right, you get, okay. So I'll go, I'll ask for four or five or six. That's okay. How long has Mary been with you? Three years. How long has Mike been with you? Four years. How long has Tom been with you? Six months. How long has Jane been with you? Eight years, right? So I'll get some names, then I'll get some tenures. And then I'll say, okay, got to ask you a tricky question. I'll go, yeah, go. And I'll say, well, so we have, here we have a whole bunch of C players that have been with you somewhere between eight months and eight years. Um, did you hire them like that or did you make them like that? Um, now, if they say, well, we hired them like that, it says something about the hiring protocols and onboarding and all that kind of stuff. If they say we made them like that, it says something about their culture. If they say we don't know, that's the worst answer then, right? But then I say, did you hire them like that or did you make them like that? I mean, was that by design? No. Okay. So why are they here? Why are they still here after eight years? And they kind of don't know. And I'll go, well, whose fault is it? And as soon as they say, well, I guess it's HR's fault. I go, okay, I've got a problem. It's your submarine. So whose fault is it that you got all of these guys? And they go, okay, it's my fault. And as soon as they make a leap where they go, you know what? It's probably me. As soon as I can help, if I say it's your fault, Mike, they don't get it. But if I can guide them to it, the process of guided discovery, when I go, well, did you hire them like that? Or have you made them like that? Because they're here for, they've been here for a while. And when they go, we probably bit of both. So, okay, well, whose fault is that then? And they go, I guess it's probably my fault. Terrific. Then we can work together. Right? So, so it's a way of, you can't tell anybody anything. They, you have to allow them to discover it, even their own weaknesses. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Um, as I shared with you before we started recording, I kind of came up through corporate HR where sometimes the corporate HR group, they got blamed for things. But oh. as I began working with organizations, not in a corporate role, but in a support role, I'm there to help these business owners. Um, I found that this natural movement towards coaching is in large part because you develop a rapport with the key decision makers that oftentimes they don't have many people they can truly let their guard down. And it's worse than that. Yeah, you're exactly right, Mike. And it's worse yes. than that. And one of the questions I'll always ask a, a prospect as well is I'll say, hey, let me ask you a tricky question, Frank. What percentage of the time do you think you hear the, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? And now that upsets them. Let's accept that it's not zero, but then neither is it a hundred either. 
And so people typically tell those in charge who at the end of the day, you know, conversations with them are normally reflected in next year's salary review, or certainly the, you know, they determine, you know, their places in the car park, right? So one of the most important role or the leadership's role is to close that truth gap, you know, mm. because people will tell you a version of the truth if they think it's in their best interest to have you believe, right? And so we've got to close that truth gap. So just as you say, you know, very rarely does somebody come and knock on your door and say, hey, got five minutes, Mike. And you go, yeah, of course, you know, door policy. Come in, sit down. What's on your, what's on your mind, Mary? And Mary says, well, I've been watching your performance over the last six months. So I just wanted to share with you. I think you're doing a terrible, dreadful job, right? That never happens, right? So, so we've got to, we've also got to close that, that, that truth gap. And it's not easy when, you know, if the truth is in short supply and if, uh, and, and I, I'll also say, coming back to, conversation we had just a few minutes ago and I say, okay, so you've got all, you've got these C players, you've got these B players, you've got these A players. What are you? Are you an A player? Are you a, a B? And they go, oh, I'm an A player. I go, well, how can you be an A player if you've got all these C players, right? Your report card is the average of everybody else's report. So, so when they make that leap and they go, oh, yeah, it's probably me, isn't it? I need to fix me first. If I fix me and then fix other people, then everything else gets fixed. So. Yeah, it's tricky. We've got this issue about truth. We've got this issue about, you know, um, self-awareness. We've got this issue about lots of things. So yeah, it's good. It's good. We, uh, one of the reasons I love my role, I mean, I love what we do is we help organizations who, you know, close that gap between where they are and where they want to be. And as soon as people go, you know, my name is Bob and I'm an alcoholic. Of course, don't say that. But the point is that you have to make that kind of public you have to make that an all leap to say, you know what? It probably isn't everybody else. It's probably me. I had this owner once that said, um, you know, I can fire three CROs, chief revenue officers. I can fire three of them before the board starts to think it's my fault. Right. So how can you blame the CRO? How can you blame the CMO? How can you blame the CIO? How can you blame all of these people? You can't do that forever. Yeah, eventually, you know, the book has to stop with you. I was intrigued when you made reference to you as a high power coach. You didn't describe yourself as such, but I'm describing you as such. Acknowledge the power of having a coach. And you're acknowledging that for that to be an effective relationship, just like for you to be effective with your clients, it requires a degree of self-awareness. It requires a degree of humility. Yeah. And it also requires on the coach's part, a willingness to address those blind spots that they might not be able to see and say things that they are hearing. Maybe no one else dare says. Does that describe some of your experience as a coach? Yeah, very much. Which is why we have a, you know, we won't coach anybody until they take, you know, like a leadership benchmark assessment, which is an attempt to look at somebody's kind of like leadership instead of a subjective kind mm -hmm. of look at an x-ray and an MRI and the blood tests, then we kind of prescribe some kind of solution. You know, if you ever went to a doctor and said, my elbow hurts and they go, oh, we'll try these tablets and then take no history. They don't look at your elbow. They don't take an x-ray. They don't ask you any kind of questions. You think that guy was a quack and you just wouldn't pay any attention to them. So, um, so, and any coach that tries to coach somebody without going through a properly rigorous process. I think that's kind of coaching malpractice. I really do. I, I feel very strongly about it. Uh, also, by the same token, when we assess people and benchmark and do all of that kind of stuff, if we can't help them, we have to tell them that 
we're not the people for them. And, and I must have, over the years, me and my organization, me and my gang, I'm going to say 70% of the people that ask us for help, we don't help mm. that many. And about half of those, we will say, but actually, I know you think you need us, but actually you probably need these guys over here. Right. And we, we show all over the place because we're not, you know, if you're a, an orthopedic surgeon, you're not going to do brain surgery. Are you? You're not going to do cardiac surgery, right? So we are a very particular specialization surgeon, if you like. And we don't, we're not, we don't try and be a GP because we're not in kind of in general practice. We're in very specific, you know, we will help leaders and organizations specifically with these issues really well and really kind of quickly. And if, but if we're not people for them, then, you know, we have an obligation to tell them. And, uh, also, you know, if you went to a, a GP and said, actually, that's quite tricky. They have no problem referring people to other people. We do that. We do that all the time because it's the honorable thing to do. Antonio, I am always drawn to excellent coaches. Why? Because I learn from my <laughs> guest, um, but I also have resisted temptation to bring too many coaches on the podcast. Um, so I'm selective. I wanted to oh. have you on the podcast for a variety of reasons. One of which is this, for those who are watching this, your eyes kind of lit up. I know you're an author and your most recent book. And we haven't even touched on that book and how that book kind of melds into your organization's coaching practice. Can you kind of help share a little bit about the book, why you wrote it and how it fits? Sure. So the reason I wrote the book, that's a good question. This is my book. I'm writing number four and five as we speak. And it's by publishers listening. We're almost there. We're not almost there. We're mild. So I was so fortunate to work for some amazing leaders a million years ago. I'm fairly ancient. And, um, they were, I, and it was surely by luck rather than judgment, tremendously. And I learned so much from it. And then we started our business about 14 years ago and uh, Oren worked with lots of people. I did consulting for uh, outside the Chinese army, the biggest company and biggest employer in the world is the British health service, right? I was mm. for those guys. And anyway, so I'm, I was kind of gathering lots of best practices all over the place. We developed a model for leadership and we showed it to a lot of people. We, you know, pressure tested it, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, I, I then talk about the assessment that we were just mentioning earlier. I went to an assessment uh, company and said, Hey, we've got this uh, model of leadership kind of excellence. Could you get your industrial psychologist? Those kind of guys to like codify this, you know, a way that we can check for all of these things and self-awareness and stuff. And they said, yeah. Uh, and I said, it's on the back of this book, right. That I've putting together, which is, you know, to help leaders really help themselves as much as possible to start to close the gap, gain some momentum, and then come to people like us, people like yourself. So they said, can we see the manuscript? So I sent them the manuscript for the book and they said, okay, we'll do it. We'll do it for free. We'll get it done. We'll, you know, we'll. We're it because this is tremendous. So, so, so we developed this model. We've been using it for a while, pressure tested in the big and the small and the, and the ugly and all of that kind of stuff. You can, yes, um, I do quite like to tell the odd story or two, right? So I'm full of stories. And, uh, I was talking to the publicist, how the book actually happened. I was talking to the publicist in my first book and my second book. And she said, you need to write another book on, you know, specifically on this. Oh, I don't know. We haven't got an assessment. So we'll go get one. And then, okay, right. So then that's, that whole thing happened. So the book really is, is 
it, it works on the principle that this whole thing about self-awareness and emotional intelligence, it's really critical. It's like everybody thinks that they've got a technical skill and they've got a good degree from a good university and they're very experienced. And we go, no, hold on, time now. Experience doesn't come, sorry, wisdom doesn't come from time served or experience. Wisdom comes from evaluated experience and closing that, you know, that gap. And the way that we do that is we have all of our, have all of our clients start to journal. And if they don't journal, you know, if a leader says, oh yeah, yeah, I'm very interested in improving. We say, okay, then you have to journal every day. And you go, journaling every day. I don't think so. Then we say, bye, right? Because the best people in the world, just think of any sports person, any entertainer, any business owner, successful, large organization, every single one of them journals. Every, you know, the best, who's the best soccer player in the world? Lionel Messi. What's Lionel Messi doing right now on Wednesday, the 13th of September? He's trying to get better. He's working with his coach and he's the best in the world. And if there's anyone in the world that can say, I've got this figured out, it's Lionel Messi, but what's he doing? He's trying to get better every single day. And that's every day. And so we say, look, if you want, if you're serious about closing this self-awareness gap, if you, then we've got to get this reflected. And I'll explain how that works in a second. Then you've got to journal every day. And those that say, okay, I'm in, we'll say, okay, if you will journal every day, then we'll help you. If you're not prepared to journal every day, that's every morning and every evening. Every morning and every evening. That means birthdays, Christmas, Hanukkah, Thanksgiving, right? Mm -hmm. Every day means every day. And if you'll do that, then we'll work with you. And if you don't, we won't, right? But you brush your teeth every day. Every single morning, you brush your teeth. Every single evening, you brush your teeth. Just for five minutes, every single day. And neither do you wait till Sunday afternoon and brush them for two hours, having left the book because your blums, your gums are bleeding, your teeth will fall out, right? So when we know... Once we've got them over that hurdle of every day, closing that self-awareness gap, start to journal every single day as the biggest and the brightest and the best in the world over do, if you're prepared to do that, we'll help you. And we'll tell you what to write. And we'll tell you every single day in the morning what you write, in the afternoon what you write. And the reason that we do that, Mike, is here's what happens. When we start to so, okay, well, what's my intention for the day? And I don't mean a to-do list. I mean, like, what kind of thing has to be done before I go to bed tonight? Otherwise, I don't go to bed tonight. Right? So let's set an intention for the day. And we do gratitude and affirmations and beliefs and all of that good stuff. But kind of be very intentional about your day. And then at the end of the day, so that's a morning momentum. And then in the evening, do some kind of evening evaluation. And it sounds like this. How did I do today? What did my report card look like today? And let's imagine you go, Probably an A minus, maybe B plus. Then what happens then, Mike, is people, you know, we then force the question, okay, what should you have done? What shouldn't you have done? What should you have said or not have said? Or how could you have said it better? Or what could you have perhaps done to, you know, elicit a better outcome? What that is, this kind of reflective practice where you're looking backwards, right? It's hindsight, right? And we all know that's 2020 vision. So maybe I could have done this, maybe I could have done that. Maybe I could have said this, maybe I could. And when we start to write these things down, consider them and write them down. Here's what happens when you do that with enough frequency and density, Mike. What then happens is something is presented to you in the moment and you know, I'm going to have to evaluate my response to this later on this evening. So future Antonio will give me you know, a higher grade later. If at this point I go, what would a world-class, not average leader, what would a world-class leader say? Probably a world-class leader would probably say this. And then you say it. So that hindsight 
has kind of led to a little bit of situational insight. You do that with enough density, and then it starts to develop foresight, right? So where you can see the little piece of the iceberg sticking up, but you know that the whole thing underneath sinks. It's those little icebergs that you can see sink ships as well as companies, right? And it helps you to kind of navigate through those. That's why unless people journal, and my coach, again, I say he coaches presidents of countries as well as companies. When, if they don't journal, if they don't send him a photo of their journal, when they call him for a coaching session, he won't pick up. And he tells mm. them, unless you send me your journal, right? Why am I going to coach you? Mm. And my coach is the same. So we have, it's kind of a, a litmus test. It's kind of like a proof of, in you know, a, 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 like a pressure point. Uh, I'm sorry, like a pressure test. It's a real proof of integrity and intent. And if you journal, we'll help you. We'll tell you what to journal. Then we'll work with you. So, and if you do, we won't. And that's the end of that. You so well described journaling in a way that I think it's critical. I may not be saying this right, Antonio, but if the practice of documenting intent is practice so it's done on a regular basis with the full knowledge when you write what that intent is, this is not your to-do list, but when no. you write your intent, you also know that you're going to be answerable to yourself at the end of the day, and you're going to have to reflect on to what degree was that achieved is that with time, that muscle builds such that you, and I love the way you describe, it will give you the capability to even look forward, not necessarily yeah. back. That's very powerful. Um, that probably is the best word to describe what you've done for us today. This is a powerful conversation. I have, I've okay. listened, I've learned, and I know that those who are listening now have gained um, a great deal. Um, I very briefly glossed over who you are and what you do, but could you share, if folks want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do so? Thank you, Mike. Yeah. So probably the best thing to do would be to just email me directly, antonio at mydailyleadership.com or go on to our website, all the W's, mydailyleadership.com. There's loads of stuff on there. There's examples of journals you can download. There, there are core value worksheets. There's an assessment, you know, the benchmark thing that we talked about earlier. Yeah, but, you know, send me an email. I promise I'll get back to you. I was going to say, oh, somebody will, but that's not much of a promise. I will get back to you. Give me maybe a couple of days, but um, I'll get back to you. You know, we live for this. We live to help people that want some help or some advice. And we'll, you know, we pay it forwards and, you know, people should work hard to help everybody, right? So help whoever you can along the way. And, you know, it's, I'm very much an abundance mindset. You know, I do these things because, you know, we, we help give back to people and some people it resonates with and they go, do you know what? That strange British Spanish chat. Uh, um, yeah, maybe we'll have a, a conversation with him. And if you want to have a conversation with me, I'd be delighted to have a conversation with you. It was that spirit of abundance that drew me to you and uh, had me kind of lean into this conversation as we record it. Antonio, thank you. Thank you, Matt. I really appreciate it. See you soon. I also want to thank the listeners for joining us today. For even more insights into getting unstuck and moving your business forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Bottom Line newsletter. You can do that just by going to our website, bench-builders.com. People have kind of been asking me of like, Mike, what do you do? And I found myself kind of responding that the clients that I work with usually had one of two problems. Either 
they were frustrated because they were losing the employees that they wanted to keep, or the leaders, they found themselves stuck in the weeds of the day-to-day and they weren't executing on their long-term strategy. So if high turnover or poor execution is slowing your growth, let's talk. Head over to bench-builders.com to schedule a call. So I want to thank you for joining us. And I hope you have picked up on some quick wins from Antonio. They'll help you get unstuck and on target. See you soon.